It's the Cool Boys, bringing you an ice-cold open from a freshly air-conditioned apartment. We back, y'all! And thank God, because it's hot as fuck. And if we had to still be without air conditioning, I think I might die. Welcome to the pod, people. I'm your host, Matisse Van Rossum, and I'm joined, as always, by Ben Sheets. Hello! And we are coming at you with our... 2018 mid-year catch-up, bringing you the hottest reviews of the worst movies of the year. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know about the worst. Well, Well, okay, maybe one of them is the worst. A mixed, it's a mixed bag, but uh, Um. before we, before we get into that... There's nothing particularly newsworthy, but uh, in the last couple of weeks, we did get some new trailers, um, two specifically, that we wanted to uh, break down a little bit. And the first is we've gotten our uh, first full trailer for uh, the new Halloween, the uh, David Gordon Green one with Jamie Lee Curtis. Yes, it seems to be a direct follow-up to the first one. It seems like they're ignoring most of what happened after that. I think they're even ignoring Halloween 2. I think they're ignoring everything after the first one, which is bold, but I suppose not unwarranted. I'm on the fence about this movie just because... It's yet another Halloween soft reboot to try to reinvigorate interest in the franchise. It does look less grimdark than the Rob Zombie ones. Yeah, which, which is a plus. Which is a plus. My curiosity is peaked after that trailer. On one hand, uh, there is a lot of fan service. It feels like they're they're really pointing at themselves and being like, Remember this? Remember how great the original Halloween was? Yeah, I I can agree with that. Um, I think that it shows potential to be kind of schlocky, which excites me, actually. Yeah. Um, especially since the premise is that in all the years since 1978, Jamie Lee Curtis has been training herself to kill Michael Myers if he ever breaks out of prison. (laughs) And she's old now. So, and I mean, Michael Myers himself is also very old at this point. So this is just like grandma and grandpa beating each other with like the kitchen chairs or whatever and yeah, i think you might that... as well call it trash humpers too <laughs> i mean michael myers never like runs in any of those movies he always does the serial killer slow walk but i think at this point that's about all he'll be capable of <laughs> he'll be doing the uh serial killer slow walker it's with gonna, uh it's with gonna be nice hard walker. to stab people when you got that arthritis <laughs> um i mean they're they don't show a ton in this movie uh or in this trailer but it looks like it could be interesting i like david gordon green yeah like i said before my curiosity is peaked and er- danny mcbride is on the writing team yeah so. which is weird but it could be interesting, you know? 
Um, I like that they're taking it a, in a different direction than, you know, standard Halloween stuff. I just hope we don't get more Michael Myers origin a la the Rob Zombie yeah. movies. Because I, I, I feel like there's we pot- won't. I, God, I really hope so. But I feel like there's potential to do it because they do mention... Michael Myers being Jamie Lee Curtis's brother in the trailer or the rumor that he's her brother. So I'm kind of scared we're going to get flashback. I don't think we will. I I, I really hope don't not. I hope they're smarter think than we that. We will get that. I heard somewhere and maybe I'm incorrect on this so if i am email us at podpeoplepod at gmail.com <laughs> but i heard that they did a test screening and the ending was one of the most badly uh received oh, test screening no. endings of all time if it did badly at the test screening they will probably change it but, but i'm very curious yeah well the thing is too you can't always trust those test screening audiences I mean, that's that's very true, but there's no better way to get something changed than a movie in a movie than to have a bad test screening reaction. I'm sure much later we'll see both versions. It's, it's a new movie. We'll get an alternate ending. Well, it's coming out Halloween of this year, so... Uh, With a John Carpenter soundtrack. Yeah, which is amazing because he's a million years old. Yeah. I'm surprised he can still do anything, but I do love his music, so that should be cool at least. Um, But you can expect to hear our full thoughts on that movie when it comes out around Halloween time. On my birthday. Holla. That'll probably be our Halloween special for this year. Yeah. so let's move on to our uh, other trailer that we wanted to talk about. Uh, oh, I think this... Do we want... <laughs> well... <laughs> want to talk about it. We're going to talk about it. Obligated to talk um, about it. During E3, right, is when they dropped this trailer? I believe so. Um, we got our first teaser trailer for The Nun, the movie that I never asked for. And I don't know who asked for it. Jason Blum asked for it. Um, I already hate this movie just from the trailer. It's going to be an obnoxious origin story, Annabelle creation style, about that weird Marilyn Manson and drag demon from The Conjuring 2. Is it going to be a period piece? I think so. All signs point in that direction. It's an origin story. The only thing I liked out of that trailer were the sweeping shots of the castles. Yeah. I thought that was cool. No, that was Um, rad. And so I think if they played a strict period piece, it won't be good. It probably won't even be fun, but at least it'll have that like slight positive to it. Maybe. I I mean, I'll just remind you of Winchester, which we're going to talk about here shortly. <sighs> and then you can think about pe- that period piece idea. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, those castles in that trailer looked a lot better than the yeah. Winchester house at true, any true, point. True, true, true. Let's not get ahead of ourselves. 
But uh, yeah, this movie looks fucking stupid. The trailer's got a textbook Blumhouse jump scare in it. I love how at the beginning of the trailer, it's a, it makes sure you know to uh, watch until the end. Yeah, what? It, For it's no like the, reason, It's too. like the trailer equivalent of please clap. <laughs> Don't stop watching our trailer. <laughs> but um, yeah, we see some... Good nuns walking around in a castle, being chased by evil nuns, and there's some Latin written on a door, and then at the end we get the title card, which looks like a Nine Inch Nails album cover. So, it's a movie that's coming out. You know how you fix this movie? Make it automatically a five-star movie? Instead of calling it The Nun, you call it Sister Act 3. <laughs> <laughs> Ain't it's having just, none of that. It's just Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> now that's I mean, a movie that I would pay to go see. I guess she is the. Oh no, I can't say that on the <laughs> podcast. <laughs> and at the end, they say pray for forgiveness, but. The only forgiveness that anyone needs is the people who made this movie. So, I uh, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I can't believe it's almost halfway through uh, 2018. It's over halfway through 2018. I suppose, counting the days... Yeah, we're coming up um, on Ju July, and we took an opportunity to get caught up on basically the only noteworthy movies. I say noteworthy very tentatively. We watched a selection of films. Before we jump into that, let's take a second to talk about the movies of 2018 that we have seen in general. Um, we've list. seen a handful of 2018 horror movies. There was uh, Annihilation, which was very good. Yeah. Uh, Mom and Dad, which was also very, very good. Very good. Hereditary, which was very good. A Quiet Place, which was very good. So that's four very good movies from this year. We also saw The Ritual, The Strangers Pray at Night. Um, and then we start getting, oh, we saw the Cloverfield Paradox. And, uh, if you want to count it, Ravenous. And if you want to count it, Ravenous. Um, it's, you know, been an expectedly mixed bag so far. Um, but we've definitely already seen the good ones. And so now we're here to talk about the bad ones. The rest of them. <laughs> the, the, the rest of them. And we're going to be starting tonight with Winchester, which is, it could loosely be called a film, as in it has a beginning, a middle, and an end, and there are characters, and there's a location, <laughs> and some things happen. They did pay Helen Mirren a lot. They somehow got Helen Mirren for this movie, <laughs> which is wild to me because I there's no way she needs money. Like she had to owe somebody a favor in Hollywood. 
to yeah. to be in this movie. Helen Mirren is an Academy Award winning actress. Maybe she just loves the story of it and like well that's that's this movie's greatest sin in my opinion because the story is actually interesting, but they do such a bad job of turning it into a horror movie that it's kind of insulting. For those who don't know, it, this is one of those supposedly based on a true story uh, films in which Sarah Winchester of the uh, company that made the Winchester rifle, um, after the death of her husband and her child, thinks that she's cursed by the ghosts of all of the people who were killed by the rifles that her family made. And so she moved to San Francisco and spent the rest of her life building this enormous 6,000-acre house that has stairways that go nowhere, doors in the ceiling and the floor, just this big labyrinthine construction. And I think that's cool, but what's not cool is this movie. It's embarrassing, but I always get Helen Mirren and Judy Dench mixed up. I mean, that's somewhat fair. They are both uh, very... Uh, Old British ladies. Yes, uh, very much so. Helen Mirren has way bigger titties. <laughs> That's why they call her fat titty. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, That's but, what she's credited as in yeah. this movie. <laughs> yeah, man, this movie, I the 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 core story of it is interesting. The story that it's it that, ba- the story know? that it's based on is interesting. Yeah. But they turn it into such generic non-horror that it's really insulting to the viewer and to the source material. When we sat down to watch this movie, we took bets on how many jump scares there would be. I said seven, which is a lot for any horror movie. And you said, what, 12? 12, yeah. And I thought, there's no way there's going to be 12 jump scares in this movie. And there was what? The final count ended up being like 15? I stopped yeah. counting at a certain point. Yeah, it really uh, is I... relentless with them. The problem is, <laughs> when it does do jump scares, it doesn't do them in any sort of coherent way. No. Like, usually they're completely unwarranted jump scares that end up having no stakes or nothing to do with anything. And they're rapid fire, too. I knew I was in trouble when there were five jump scares in the first 20 minutes of the movie. I knew I was fucked. Jump scares are not particularly effective in horror anyway, in my opinion, but when you do them one after another after another after another in a really short period of time that makes them even less effective at a certain point you don't even jump anymore because like you're so desensitized to it at that point it's so fucking cheap which is a great word for this movie cheap which is weird because it is a period piece you yes. know it's a period piece which 
period pieces historically always cost more a money to make. Load of money because you have to make sure they're accurate. You have to get props that look old slash antiques. It's an ordeal to make a period piece. I think they spent their entire budget on the the interior sets of the house because they put a lot of work into that, and then. They're like, oh, hey, we need establishing shots of the house. And somebody was like, oh, fuck. We don't have any more money. Because the first shot we get of the house, it looks terrible. It's just this awful CG. It looks like it looks like a like an old FMV video game. <laughs> Honestly. Like, seriously, yeah. no exaggeration. It looks awful. Just some of the cheapest grossest CG I've seen in a movie that made it into theaters in a long, long fucking time. And they keep showing it, too. They could not have gone to the trouble of building a miniature at the very well, it's least. it's weird, because they... It feels like they did build a miniature of the of roof. Of just the roof. Because they start doing a lot of panning shots that go over the top of it and that's not cg but they do it from a single angle multiple times so it seems like they took just one long pan shot of the roof and and then put filters on it to make it look like different times of day yeah and god i i honestly have so fucking little to say about this movie because it's so bad and so boring in terms of narrative which I use loosely. It's about uh, a psychiatrist who's addicted to laudanum who is sent to the Winchester house by the the shareholders of the Winchester Rifle Corporation to determine the mental fitness of Sarah Winchester to see if she's capable of continuing to run the company. And then ghosts happen. And Um, for some reason, the psychiatrist has his troubled past is that his wife killed herself with a Winchester rifle. And so he carries around the refurbished bullet that she shot herself with that has together forever engraved on it. (laughs) Yeah, I can't believe that is a thing in this movie. The the reason Dame Helen Mirren uh, builds this convoluted labyrinth of a house is she has sort of a medium presence where she can see these ghosts of these people who were killed by the Winchester rifles, but to make their presence stronger, she has to make the rooms that they died in. Yeah, they... they telepathically make her draw the blueprints of the rooms that they died in and have her build them into the house, which is fucking stupid. Cause even in the real story, the real Sarah Winchester said the reason she built the house like that is so the spirits would get lost to make it confusing so that they wouldn't be able to find her because they would get lost in the house, which is a much cooler idea that they could have very easily done yeah. in this movie rather than her <laughs> locking up all of the spirits in these rooms. And apparently you can keep a spirit locked in a room by putting a board over the door and With hammering eight 
13 nails. 13 nails. Exactly, 13 nails. And if you do that, ghosts can't get out. It's that simple. That's just basic science right there. Science. No, I, I think it's really dumb, and it's like... If that's the case, why even build the rooms? You know, like, I know you're getting rid of the ghost presence once they quote-unquote come to terms with their death. But, like, if they're haunting you, that's not why they're haunting you. They're not haunting you to try to come to terms with their death. No. This movie is so fucking dumb. So goddamn stupid. And it's just like endless monologuing about being haunted by your past and atoning for your sins and for some reason at the beginning seems to take a very strong anti-gun message which we picked up on immediately and was like okay well 2018, you know, there's a problem with gun violence in America. Is this trying to make some sort of political statement in a weird way? 2018, second wokest horror film. But then they end up saving the day at the end by shooting the ghost, by by shooting the evil ghost with a gun. Which, Which doesn't make any sense. I, I mean, honestly, that whole sequence might be my favorite sequence in the movie. It's the only entertaining part of the movie. The rest of it is such a fucking slog. Yeah. Um, it's terrible. There's a one-of-a-kind a one shot in this movie where the, the ghosts, like, make a whole room full of guns float in the air all pointed at this dude, and it just looks the It looks so stupid. Because the ghost made Helen Mirren build a room that has one of every make and model of the Winchester rifle, because that's the room that he died in, because... Because he shot up the Winchester factory. Yeah, because his brother died in the civil war or something and he lost it and blamed it on the guns and apparently the only way to kill a ghost is to use a refurbished bullet that killed somebody else or something the the stupidest part of this whole thing is Helen Mirren's character wasn't even related to the Winchesters by blood. No, it was by marriage. Yeah, she fucking married into it. Why is she feeling guilty for this shit? Well, I mean, that's a real life thing. So I mean, I mean well, I, guess, I mean, but... why are you getting haunted by these? I I know. I mean, she in the real Sarah Winchester did legitimately believe she was cursed. Because over the course of several years, like, literally everybody she loved died. So she thought that she was haunted by the spirits of everyone who is killed by the Winchester rifle, which was a lot, because the invention of the Winchester rifle was a turning point in the Civil War. Because then, when you had a repeating rifle, you didn't have to stop and reload your musket every (laughs) fucking shot. I mean, yeah. You want to know something incredibly stupid about this movie that I read? Apparently, the people who made this movie 
bought the photographic rights of the Winchester Spirit House, the real one. So now anybody who goes to tour it can no longer take pictures of it because any any pictures that they take would be seen legally as uh, direct competition for the promotion of this movie in perpetuity. Ah, that's so frustrating. Why the fuck wouldn't you use that house then to shoot it? Right. They they did it solely to eliminate competition, which, how is some tourists' iPhone pictures of a cool haunted house competition to the promotion of this shitty movie? Because the pictures are better than this movie. Oh, it's so fucking frustrating. <laughs> anything you take of it's it so will be better frustrating. than this movie. And now, like, this movie is going to slip into obscurity. It pretty much already has because it's bad. But now nobody's going to be able to take pictures of that house anymore because of this shitty movie that nobody's going to remember in six months. That's some bullshit. How fucking frustrating I, uh... is that? Yeah, it's weird. The The directors of this movie were the same guys who directed uh, the Jigsaw movie, the the recent yeah, that's uh, right. Saw sequel. Which was also a bad movie, but better than this. I think they also wrote this one, too, and the, the Jigsaw movie was at least written by Lee Wannell, who is... Competent sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, this is this is just a big stupid fucking mess of a movie. It looks terrible. Like the the interior sets are okay in terms of design, but it's too colorful for a horror movie. And everything has that like old Hollywood like soft focus to make everything look really glamorous. And when I watch a horror movie, I want to see, like, stark contrast, like, hard shadows, things like that, you know, for atmosphere. And this movie does the opposite of it. It just looks cheap as hell. Well, you know, that didn't even bother me too much. My problem was they kept bouncing between styles. So they would have, like, these really colorful scenes and sequences, and then they would jump to, like a generic-looking, monochromatic, like, dark blue spooky scene. Well, that's the thing, that's the thing, too. her drawing out the the layout for these rooms but that's or whatever. But that's the thing that bothered me, too, is that this movie is never, like, actually dark. It, even the nighttime scenes, it's all so well lit. How are you going to make a spooky movie where you can see everything at all times? If you're going to make something scary, you need to have places of darkness where something could be hiding or where something could come from and attack your protagonist. It, it just... I hate this movie. This is the worst movie of 2018 for me. Definitely. So far, it ha- it is for me as well. Yeah, well, I mean, we're well, only halfway through the year, but... Yeah, the only movie this year that has come close to being this bad for me, and it's not a horror movie, but it's uh, Game Over Man, the uh, oh god, that Netflix original comedy, quote unquote comedy movie by the Workaholics guys. It's bad. Don't see it. But I'm like, not planning on it. it. Fails 
spectacularly because it fails to be funny in a genre all about laughs, just like this movie fails to be in, to be scary in any sort of way. Yeah, in a genre that's built on scares. Yep, exactly. Totally uninteresting characters, boring dialogue, uh, not scary, uninspired. It gets dumb at the end, like really dumb, kind of in a fun way, but much too late to redeem itself in any way whatsoever. The Cloverfield Paradox was better than this movie. The Hurricane Heist was better than this movie. (laughs) And The Hurricane Heist had a storm cloud that roared. So I don't know what you want to do with that. I just want to rate this movie and move on. Yes, let's just move on. Um, I think we've exhausted all of this. One pod out of five. It sucks. Fuck this movie. Ben? Uh, yeah, one out of five. I thought, you know, the the story idea had potential, but it was wasted. The acting was bland and boring. Helen Mirren was phoning it in hard. Oh, my God. Hard. Um, there is that one redeeming scene with the with, floating with the floating guns with the floating guns and the refurbished bullet where the psychiatrist shoots a ghost yes. he shoots a ghost and that saves the day yes. that makes all of the ghosts go away he shoots one evil ghost and all of the ghosts go away but it's with the refurbished bullet that's right they killed so, his wife um no but uh yeah that's the only redeeming part of the movie and that's like 2 minutes uh, so yeah, don't, don't see this movie. It's not worth it. Nope. That's it's, a, u- <laughs> uh, trash. I give it one out of five. So that's a unanimous one out of five. Instead of seeing this movie, take a trip to San Francisco and go to the actual Winchester spirit house, but don't plan on taking any pictures cause that's illegal now. All right, moving on to our next film, which is only a mild step up from Winchester, in my opinion, Insidious, The Last Key, which is the fourth film in the Insidious franchise, and hopefully hopefully the last. It's the Insidious, The Last film in the franchise. (laughs) It is a film, and... I mean, it also is bad. It's better than Winchester. It is better than Winchester. It's um, at least slightly more entertaining. It's I su- I guess it's supposed to be a prequel to the whole franchise. It's about the old psychic lady from the first one, uh, Droopy Dog, who goes back to the town she grew up in because there's a demon that opens ghost doors with its key fingers yeah or it's like something uh, like edward scissorhands but more boring <laughs> <laughs> uh yeah so she uh we start with like a a flashback scene in the 50s correct 50s? yes when she's a little girl yeah they and- live in a house right next to a prison and so she sees the ghosts of all the people who are put to death in the electric chair. 
And then she opens a ghost door and then a demon kills her mom and then she's traumatized for life or something. Yeah. I, I, I don't know, dude. Like, I was paying attention to this movie, but very little of it makes sense from a narrative standpoint. It's kind of like a non-story. I mean, the dad in this movie is definitely the 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 worst dad of the year so far. Oh, worst f- movie dad of the year. Worse than Nick Nick Cage and Mom and Dad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> He uh, locks his daughter in the basement to teach her a lesson about seeing ghosts. Yeah, you see those ghosts? I'm going to lock you in the basement with those ghosts. Old droopy dog lady gets called back to her hometown, which is called Five Keys. Get Get it? it? Because the demon has five keys for fingers, and it's in Five Keys, New Mexico. So, how's that for subtlety? A a dude who's living in her house is having ghost problems. So, she goes there with her sidekicks, Lee Wannell, and dude from Fargo Season (laughs) 2, who's also in Winchester. Yes. And they see some ghosts and some demons... Like, this movie is is a series of events more than an actual story, it's, I, th- I think. It's an amusement park taking you from one unwarranted jump scare to the next. We also took bets on this one, um, and this time I went higher and said 10, and you said 12 again. And what was our final count? Was it... Uh, I think it was 13. Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I think it was 13. So you won both of those. But, you know, when, you, when you're dealing with the Insidious franchise... Bo- I think we both lost, ultimately. Oh, yeah, there was no by winner. By watching these movies. There was no winner. Um, what I will say about this movie is it seemed to be somewhat self-aware of the cliches of this franchise and of its spin-off franchises like The Conjuring and Annabelle and stuff like that, at least in the sense that there were a few times where we knew a jump scare was coming and one of us would call what the jump scare would be and it would happen, but it would be something different than what we called. The jump scares were still lame, but at least they were actively trying to subvert expectations yeah yeah like the part where she's crawling around in the air duct or whatever and she finds all of those suitcases and she keeps opening them up and then closing it and it is like framed on the darkness behind the suitcase and she does that twice and it's like okay on the third time she's gonna close it and the demon's gonna be there but instead it comes out of the suitcase (laughs) Yeah, they they never mess with when the jump scares are happening, but how the jump scares happen, they they do a decent enough job. I'll, I'll give them I'll give them very minor props for creativity on that. I do also have to give them props 
uh, for making Droopy Dog their uh, lead actress. Uh, very bold decision. <laughs> I don't know her actual name. I feel bad about that, but she is basically Droopy Dog. She does look like Droopy Dog. Um, um, but yeah, you, you Lynn Shay is the actress. I mean, but outs- I'm going to keep calling her Droopy Dog. Outside of, you know, obviously the new Halloween with uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, uh, you don't really see old women get represented in movies as, in lead roles. In lead roles, know? yes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Usually so there's see, a scary old grandma. Yeah, so to see, like, a mainstream horror movie give their lead role to, like, a 76-year-old lady is unique. And I, I, gotta, I gotta give it props for that. I can give it that, and... She does have chemistry with her sidekicks, although they are not very interesting characters, any of them. But they feel more developed than the characters in Winchester, say. Um, And I guess one other thing that I can mildly compliment this movie on is the, the side plot that the guy who called them to get rid of the ghost has been like imprisoning women in his basement. And we think that they're just ghosts at first. Uh, but then it turns out that they're actually like real people. And then we discover later on that her dad was doing the same thing. I, that was something that I was not expecting from a movie like this to incorporate an element of non-supernatural horror. But then the, their explanation for why this is happening just ends up being stupid and thro- being yeah, you know, it, thrown that shit It's back to window. supernatural. The, the oh. demon in this movie looks very stupid. It looks like Gollum with no nose and keys for fingers. And it goes around shoving its keys in people's throats and locking their voice boxes so they can't scream or something. Dumb. It It's so stupid. And we we find out that the reason that uh, her dad and the other guy were imprisoning these women and torturing them is because the demon was making them do it because it feeds off of hate or something, which is like the lamest, flimsiest plot device for an antagonist (laughs) that I've seen in a really long time. It did lead to one of my favorite lines, though, in this movie. (laughs) Droopy Dog is like... We have no more hate, so fucking starve. <laughs> yeah, okay, this ghost is gonna fucking starve. Yeah, I, I will say that um, for about 15 minutes towards the end, this movie descends into complete schlock and is absolutely hilarious it is very entertaining it's so fucking funny when she goes into the further or whatever the ghost dimension in these movies is called to to find 
her niece because she discovers that her brother and his daughters are still living in the town and that one of his daughters has the gift like she does. She goes into this other world and her ghost mom shows up and blasts the the mean key demon off into the night and it's fucking hilarious i was i was laughing for probably a good 10 minutes towards the end of this movie so that's something that i can at least give it over winchester yes at least the, at least by the end i was where winchester had a solid two minutes of greatness this movie has a solid, like, 15 minutes of greatness. Yeah, which, for a movie like this, I'll, I'll take it, I guess. It's still too long. Uh, it's very boring. I don't give a shit about anything that's happening for most of it. And it's uninspired and uninteresting. And basically like all of the other Insidious movies. See, I don't know how much you would get out of this if you have seen all of them because i know i've only seen the first i've seen part of the third i've seen the first and the second and if you asked me to recount what happens in the second one i could not do it because i I don't don't even know if i could tell you what happened in the first one to be frank uh, spooky I could, ghosts. I, I can give you, I could give you a vague uh, plot synopsis of the first one. The first one is okay. It's a very okay movie. Um, not as good as The Conjuring, but not as bad as Annabelle. Say this is a franchise that's gone on for far too long. I don't know why anybody still gives a shit about it. I know I sure don't. And do you think this will be, I guess you could say, do you think this will be the last key? I fucking hope so. Do you, do you know the demon's motivation in this movie? Cause I still don't. What's the relevance of it having keys for fingers? What's the deal with the doors? Why does it make people kidnap other people? And lock them up in a closet. Like your primary antagonist has the the keys and the door motif. Your primary antagonist has no motivation, other than it's a demon. Demons are evil. That's it. It. I fuck this movie. Really. the The last twenty minutes or so are worth watching, but the rest of it is a total snooze fest. Is it because? The connection with the the jail next door and how all of the prisoners were jailed in cells with keys and the 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 not warden but uh the uh the jailers would always have keys and the jailers are the demon that, i don't that's know a mo- that's a motif though. that's a motif not a motivation which just goes to show that this movie is badly written. Yes. And which is one of the reasons why I'll say that Lee Wannell is competent sometimes, because he wrote this. Um, for those who don't know, Lee Wannell uh, wrote the first Saw movie, and he is uh, the one who is not Carrie Elwes in Saw. And I like the first Saw movie, and I like Lee Wannell in that, but... 
I think that he has gotten really lazy. I know he wrote the first Insidious 2. I mean... And he directed the third one. Yeah. I think this movie, you know, it's not meant to be amazing to begin with it's yeah it's, it's supposed to be a schlocky good well, they time were, they, well, and you know like it delivers on some of the schlock but not much of the good time it doesn't no it doesn't deliver enough on the schlock until the end if it was schlocky all the way throughout it could at least be entertaining and as fun as the last 15 20 minutes are I would not say that it's worth it sitting through the rest of this movie just for that. I don't um, think this movie did super well at the box office. Well, I mean, they released it in Fuck You, It's January. Yeah. Like, um, the first Insidious and maybe the second one were released around Halloween, you know, prime season for releasing horror movies. Any horror movie that's released in January is most of the time, unless it's an art house film destined to be shit yeah because it's the dumping ground nobody nobody gives a shit about movies that come out at the beginning of the year that's when everybody unloads their shit yeah so um i wonder if this will be similar to the paranormal activity series where hopefully it won't go on that long well i mean that one only had what five movies six six yeah I am not proud to say that I have seen all of them. I thought they went one through four, and then they had that that one. They had one. they had one through four. Then they had Paranormal Activity, the marked ones. Then they had Paranormal Activity, the Ghost Dimension, which is by far the worst. Uh, I don't even know if I remember the Ghost Dimension. If you saw it, I it's didn't not, see it, but I don't memorable. even remember marketing for it. It's, that was the one where they develop special cameras that uh, when you turn on the night vision, you can actually see the ghosts. Oh my God. It can see into oh the ghost image. It God. fucking sucks. It's really, really bad. But I, all I can say is that I hope Insidious is done after this one. They end it with a terrible Blumhouse jump scare where she has a a vision about the little boy from the first one, and then she wakes up and looks out her window, and the demon from the first one pops his face into the window, and it's fucking stupid. I fucking... Ugh! I hate movies that end like that. (sighs) Okay. Okay. I want to pitch how you make this movie a five-star movie, much like the last one. All right. Okay, it's called Insidious the Major Key. Instead of uh, this weird golem-like demon, it's uh, DJ Khaled. Oh, okay. I'm into that. Um, When you said the Major Key, I was thinking that it was going to be like a composer demon, like the ghost of Mozart or something. (laughs) And they have to do something to make him stop writing sad, angry, evil music and start writing happy music. Again. See, what I was thinking is this would be like a top 10 anime crossover type of thing. Oh, yeah, sure. And we'll get a crossover with the Ghostbusters because they're basically the same movies. Yeah, basically. Um, 
But instead of, you know, you can't have Harold Ramis in it. He's dead. So just put Droopy Dog in in his role. Get Bill Murray, get Dan Aykroyd, and get Droopy Dog. And you know what? I want to go back to the DJ Khaled thing. Let's throw him in there, too. In that Ernie Hudson role? Instead of being the demon, DJ Khaled needs to be the ghost hunter. I think that's... No, I think that's that's where you're really on to something. Because then you have excellent opportunities for all of his catchphrases like when he defeats the ghost at the end he can just look right in the camera and say you played yourself <laughs> he, I, he just yells we the best we the best every time they, they every, capture every a time ghost. every time they capture a ghost he just says another one <laughs> <laughs> the Steve Puff Marshmallow appears. <laughs> Major killer. We eaten. <laughs> uh. Gotta go get Master Rock. Shit, man. Once again on this podcast, we're doing the Hollywood producer's job for them, coming up with these number one blockbuster movie ideas that would make billions of dollars. And what are we doing? Sitting on our fucking futon in Durham, recording a podcast. And we're not even getting paid for it. We're doing this work for free. Shit. We're the ones who are playing ourselves. Do you want to rate this? Yeah, we might as well. Uh... I would give this a... Well, you know what? Let me explain my rating before I jump into it. Oh, God. It. I don't like um, where this is going. This this movie has 15 minutes of greatness. It's not really worth watching the rest of it for. But when it gets to that point, it becomes very fun. This movie does a decent enough job of, unlike Winchester, doing jump scares at least competently where uh, they do proper subversion of expectations for them. They surprise you like a jump scare yeah. should, even and, if you're anticipating it. And they don't feel unwarranted in most the same, of, in the same the way that any of the Winchester ones Most of did. the time. What I will counter with is when Droopy Dog is being interrogated by the detective and it is doing the standard shot reverse shot between the two of them and it cuts back to the detective and there's a ghost behind him that one was totally unwarranted and stupid yes they are more competently done than winchester as a whole though this movie Um, at least seems like it had a budget where winchester is insanely cheap in every aspect at least insidious felt like it had some effort put into it yeah i, I mean uh i think it's commendable misguided effort though. i mean it's commendable they have that actress that i can't remember her name i'm just gonna say droopy dog droopy dog yep uh in a lead role you know it's really cool to have Old women have lead roles for once in a major horror film. Horror movies need more gilfs. Yeah. Um, that's what you're saying. Yeah. I like those saggy titties. <laughs> no, I think that's that's a plus. I think the characters are 
at least more likable than Winchester. I really liked the uh, subplot with the the dad kidnapping and imprisoning women. No, just like, yeah, no, it was yeah, always it was women. just women, yeah. and uh, you know that kind of playing into the ghosts uh, Droopy Dog saw as a kid. Maybe not being ghosts. I thought that that cool, that was one of the only cool things idea. that I thought was cool. When we have a flashback of her as a teenager, and she sees a ghost in the laundry room, and then later we get another flashback that that ghost she saw in the laundry room was actually one of his, her dad's prisoners that had escaped. I thought that was interesting, but it didn't focus on that aspect of the plot nearly enough because once again, it was just about, Oh, but the demon made him do it. Yeah. Which I thought was lame, but you know, I'm going to give this a two star out of five, two pods out of five. I think it's competent. It's not a great movie, but it could be a lot worse as we know well on this podcast. See, when you said that you had to explain your rating, I thought you were going to give this a better rating. I would also give it a 2 out of 5. I don't anticipate myself ever watching this movie again. I was largely bored through most of it. Um, It at least had somewhat of an entertaining payoff in how dumb and schlocky it was, so I appreciated that, but... mostly it's just a snooze fest and I don't really give a shit about any of the characters. So uh, I guess that's another unanimous uh, two out of five pods for Insidious The Last Key. And now we will move on to our final film. Um... One which I went into at least somewhat optimistically, um, Unsane, the most recent film from uh, acclaimed writer-director Steven Soderbergh, about a woman who is uh, mistakenly committed to a mental institution and uh, spends the entirety of the movie trying to escape while simultaneously evading her stalker who has followed her across the country and taken up a job at the mental institution to be close to her. This movie's gimmick is that the entire thing is shot on uh, an iPhone 7, and uh, I was intrigued by that, but for me... The aesthetic was actually one of the worst things about this movie. I kind of disagree, actually. The uh, aesthetic of the handheld, you know, iPhone texture threw me off at the beginning because, you know, at times it kind of looks amateurish. It, I, I think it looks uh, amateur. For but most I think of the movie. I think what worked about it for me is the more it went on the more it instilled, like, a sense of something being off, you know, in kind of an esoteric way, um, in that, like, 
you're you're kind of thrown off by the cinematography and you're put at unease. You're made uneasy by it, which I think works. And also on top of that, I I um I feel like the choice to shoot it on an iPhone has sort of a a metatextual appeal to it in that you know a lot of these institutions you don't have public access to them so it feels more personal shot on an iphone it feels like a found like a gorilla filmmaking kind of yeah yeah i i think that you're right in that's why it was shot on the iphone it took me a while to key into that because for like the first 30 45 minutes of this movie i was just like i cannot figure out why this is shot on an iphone where i will disagree with you is the the feeling of unease from how off it looks for me it it definitely looks off i will agree with that but i found that more frustrating than anything else especially considering you know steven soderberg has been working in the industry for a long fucking time and i feel like if this was from an unknown director like an up and coming you know, on a super low budget and like, oh, we're going to shoot this on the iPhone and for this reason and sort of like a a forced creativity through necessity, it might have bothered me less, but I just thought it looked terrible. It was like... Well, the difference too is if it was shot by an amateur, it would have an amateur's hand behind it. I feel like there's a lot of details in this movie that an amateur or a first-time director would not do. What I'll what I'll counter with is uh, the last time we had this gimmick where uh, a feature was shot on an iPhone was that movie that came out a couple of years ago, uh, Tangerine. Is that what that was called? Yeah. Yep. By the the same guy who did the Florida projects. I have not seen Tangerine. I've seen bits and pieces, and I've seen trailers, and I think that film looks really good for being shot on an iPhone. It still has some of the same kind of, like, handheld quality to it, but it feels like there was more artifice in the lighting and the coloring and stuff like that. Whereas this movie reminded me of something shot on, like, like a video camera in, like, early 2000s, like, early digital. I disagree. I think a lot of the cinematography was actually... And the staging of the scenes were actually pretty good. In particular... I think, you know, all of the, the sequences where they're disorienting, for example, when the the stalker gives uh, the main character, like, drugs that she wasn't supposed to take. Yes, that, that sense scene of was... unease was incredible. I, I, and I liked when she was drugged and they were doing the thing where it was like she was like running around tearing up a room and it was like two shots superimposed where it was like from the back of her head but her face was superimposed on the back of her head i thought that was really fucking cool that was the one time in the movie where i was like this is a really awesome visual um i i will agree that at times i was digging the cinematography um especially in the third act 
when she ends up in solitary and she's having these long interactions with her stalker. Um, I thought all of that stuff was shot pretty yeah, well. Yeah, I thought that whole sequence was incredible. What, I, what bothered me the most in terms of the the cinematography and why those scenes in solitary I think were better is because a lot of the movie, the coloring felt off. Like, they couldn't find a proper white balance between daylight and tungsten lighting. It's inside, so there's, like electric lighting so it's like that orangey tungsten but then all of the windows are also like super blown out white and that color is clashing and it just it looked so amateur and trashy to me i i found it really really distracting at times i had a hard time focusing on what was actually happening happening in specific scenes because i thought it looked so bad Maybe that's just the cinematographer in me and not being yeah, able to. I think it was intentional is the thing. So I, I well, regardless I whether it's, whether it's it. intentional or not, it still it still looked bad to me. Even if it was intentionally bad, this isn't the type of movie that I want that that kind of look in. I I think that's if, a this is that kind of movie I want that look in something that isn't the easiest to look at because I think it mirrors. The, the plot of the movie well. I I think it pairs well also with the super off-kilter editing style of the movie, where you get weird quick cuts. I liked the editing, I did. Weird angles sometimes. But I feel like that's all stuff that you could do with a, a more professional camera setup, and that I would like it more. The editing was fine, I think. And some of the 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 framing was fine. It was just like the the actual aesthetic, the way the movie looked. I I just found it so distracting. I I think it it took me out of the plot, which I think is interesting. Um, I I like the way that events are revealed in the movie, and as we you know start to discover more, particularly how we know from early on in the movie that our main character has moved to this city, which I think they mention is in Pennsylvania, to get away from her stalker in Boston. And once she's committed to this mental institution, there's this, uh, you know, sort of question of whether she is actually crazy and needs to be there or whether she doesn't. And the guy that she thinks is her stalker who's working there, we don't, know until way later in the movie whether he actually is her stalker or she is just delusional and thinks that he is that stuff i thought was really interesting as well as the the concept that this mental institution is wrongfully committing people basically to hold them hostage until their insurance refuses to pay for it anymore because they have to meet their quotas. I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, I, I love the uh, late stage capitalistic anxiety about needs falling into profit sectors. Right. That's all handled really well, and it seems to be a common theme in a lot of I, Soderbergh films. I almost wish that they had gone more into that instead of 
just sort of descending into generic slasher territory in the end, which I think is still handled well, so it doesn't bother me too much, but I I think I would have enjoyed this movie more if, like, the institution had been the antagonist or the the main antagonist rather than the stalker and instead it's vice versa like the stalker ends up becoming the main antagonist and then the institutional thing is kind of just like a vehicle to put the character in that position i think i would have enjoyed to see more exploration of that late stage capitalism shit. I, I think that could have been a cool thing I to think explore. They the the two ideas play off of each other well. I think having the stalker plays off of the uh exploitative institution. I think that plays well as a pairing because they both exploit her. Right. But I think what they could have done is and they, enable each other. I think what they could have done is they could have held off on the reveal that she's not crazy until later in the movie. If they had waited until like the last 20 or 30 minutes to reveal that her stalker is actually there with her in the hospital, if they had drawn out the is it delusion is it not thing more I think that would have been a cooler movie, too. Well, I I really like the way they handle it, for the most part. I think it's cool, you know, having her call her mom and her mom just immediately coming to the rescue. Yeah, no, I liked that, or trying to come to the rescue, at least. But I think I would have liked more to see her mom get tied up in all of the bullshit bureaucracy of not being able to get her out of the institution because she technically signed herself in, rather than her mom being taken out of the picture yeah, quickly I mean, because her stalker just goes to her t- hotel. Uh, I like that her. idea in theory, but this movie is already pretty tightly paced, so adding more stuff about bureaucracy, I feel like, would have bogged it down. I'm not saying add more, I'm saying rework what they had now. I, I mean, it's it's overall not a big deal in the grand scheme of things because the stalker stuff is handled pretty well and getting to know him as a character at least is somewhat refreshing rather than him just being this unexplainedly evil character. Um, that th- Those are the scenes that work the best for me when she's in solitary confinement and he keeps coming to her and he's like bringing her things and trying to convince her to uh come live with him in his cabin in the woods so they can be happy and stuff like that and her really convoluted plan to escape where she convinces him that the only way she'll be able to be with him is if he loses his virginity to somebody else In front of her her and tells her to or tells him to uh, bring this other crazy patient down and rape her because she knows that that patient carries a shank that she can use to kill or uh, incapacitate him. Chekhov's shank. Chekhov's shank. Because uh, they established the shank early on, and I totally forgot about it, but at least it had its payoff. Yeah. I did think that was a bit convoluted, but ultimately clever. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they introduce it early, 
early enough that you do forget about it until right. it happens. Right, right. And then when you do see it, and you see her grab it and stab him in the neck, it's like, oh, shit, yeah, I forgot about the shank. That's cool. Yeah. What's dumb, though, is that she takes his keys and runs out of the cell, but doesn't lock him into it. Yeah. Honestly, I think I would have been okay with her just killing him in that scene, too, and escaping. Him then coming after her and putting her in his trunk and having them go out to the woods for the final showdown, that I felt was kind of unnecessary, especially because they did that terrible day for night, which I I know you probably don't have as much of a problem with as I do, but it's literally, they just shot it in full daylight and put on a... It really, is one of the most egregious really examples ugly of day blue for filter. night I think I've ever seen. Yeah, like... They were doing day for night better than that in, like, the 40s. Like, it just looks terrible. Like, just because you shot this on an iPhone doesn't mean that you can't color grade it in a different program, <laughs> you know? Like, I that, that shit just did not work for me at all. I found that really distracting, too. I mean, man. I mean, the... iPhones can't shoot in low light. Well, yes. No, <laughs> I, I, I know that. And I know Day for Night is necessary sometimes, but it's fucking 2018. The technology exists to do good Day for Night and to just put what looked like a blue, a dark blue filter over everything and have no sort of subtlety in the color grading i i just mm, no i i hated that i really hated that i also found the protagonist kind of insufferable at least for a while i i came over to her side at the end but my problem is that a movie like this that is basically entirely from her perspective we're living in her head and she doesn't know whether she's crazy or not therefore we don't know whether she's crazy or not to have her be so unlikable i mean as a I person think she thinks she isn't crazy well she does she definitely well she definitely does at first but she definitely does start to question herself midway through the movie. She even yeah, asks herself yeah. a few times, like, am I crazy? Like, am I, am I sane or not? Um, also, unsane is a, is a bad title. Unsane, yeah. I don't think that's a word, actually. No. <laughs> um, just call it insane. Yeah. But Someone must have the rights to that or something. Maybe. I, yeah, that, that, um, was, that was weird. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I think she does a good job. I think her performance is good. I will give I, I will give her that. It's you know she's in a constant state of frustration throughout the movie. You know, frustration and anxiety between you know having a relentless stalker and being forced into a mental institution against her will. So I I have no problem that she's kind of unlikable through the movie because considering you know like i would be pissed off too you know yeah but i think i think you can still have a better balance between dealing with that frustration and anxiety and just making her 
unlikable to the audience because like i said it's it's all from her perspective she's the the protagonist we're supposed to sympathize with her in her horrible situation and i had a hard time doing that for most of the movie i like i said i started to come around towards the end but i don't know man i think that might just be you though because i i found it easy to sympathize you know like with her getting stuck in the mental institution against her will. I mean, in terms of a situation, it's it's very sympathetic. I just didn't like her at all, and I mean, maybe it is just me, but I, w- I would have a hard time believing that I'm the only person who would watch this movie and not find her insufferable. But yeah, like that that's just from my perspective. I did not find her uh, a very likable character. I did like towards the end when she got colder and more willing to sacrifice others for her own personal gain. I thought that was interesting character development and I'm, I'm glad they did stuff with that. And I think the actress who plays her does a really good job. Um, I think everybody does a pretty good job in this movie. There's a solid, solid cast throughout. I thought Jay Farrow does a fantastic job. He's he's the best in my opinion. He was my favorite character. He has a great fully fleshed out character. He plays kind of the, the straight man in the, in the institution who's helping her out. I thought it was, it was a cool twist to have it be revealed, because uh, the stalker kills him because he sees her getting, he sees Jay Farrow getting close to the the protagonist. But uh, I, I did think it was cool at the end to reveal that he was like an undercover journalist who was investigating this uh, this sort of uh, corruption in the in the institution and falsely committing people, um, and that in being why it gets shut down at the end because he's killed and the paper or magazine or whatever that he works for brings all of the shit to light. That was really cool. I liked that a lot. Yeah, and I think it's really smart how they play up the idea that he's in there for heroin Yeah, for for rehab and uh, the stalker kills him by giving him uh, a fatal overdose of fentanyl. Um, so of course then the, the paper knows that he's been murdered because he's not actually a drug addict. I thought that was cool too, especially cause like he is so much the straight man that you're like, why is he here? Like, there's gotta be something else going on. Like what's, what's his deal? Why is he in this institution? Um, and then to have that reveal at the end, I think was clever. And I, I enjoyed that a lot. It's tough because there are things that I really like about this movie, but overall I didn't really enjoy my viewing experience too much between how bad I thought it looked and how much I didn't like the protagonist for most of the movie. I, I can't say that I was terribly entertained by this movie, which is kind of a shame because I went into it wanting to like it a lot more than I did. Maybe I would enjoy it more on repeat viewings, but just overall, it didn't do a lot for me. The aesthetic was too distracting, and I i don't know. I, I just I didn't like this movie very yeah, much. Um, I, I do have to give uh, Juno Temple props uh, for playing the crazy girl. Yeah, she this. does a good job. I think she does a really good job. 
I think it's funny that they got Bobby Kelly as one of the the uh, police officers. Yeah, man. Like I, this movie has some of its shortcomings, you know, in how at times with the stalker plot, it feels like it almost falls into Lifetime original movie camp. Yeah, I can kind of see that um, too. But it's done in such an inventive way that it doesn't really bother me all that much. For me, this movie gave me, like, student film vibes a lot, and maybe once I saw that, that sort of poisoned the way that I was looking at it, because I feel like if I was watching it in, like, a classroom setting as, like, something that one of my peers had done, I would be more forgiving of the things that frustrated me about it but for it to be like a steven soderbergh production and to come across so amateur in a lot of ways i i think that that really frustrated me more than anything um i would say it's good for a student film but for for like a like a professional production i think that there's a lot that's lacking for me. I don't know. I I might have See, to. I might have yeah, to go back and, and rewatch that's the it. Thing, but... You know, like I don't have a problem with the arguably bad cinematography because the thing is, when cinematography that doesn't traditionally look good serves a purpose, I think it ultimately is good cinematography if it's done with intent. And it's done to, you know, throw people off, you know, like... I can agree most of the time. Like, I I love Trash Humpers, and, I mean, that that whole movie is, like, supposed to be as lo-fi and aesthetically unappealing as possible, but I think for the story it's trying to tell, it works better. I I don't think this movie would have lost anything by shooting on a professional camera with professional lighting. I think if it shot with professional lighting and a professional camera, it would have felt more like a Lifetime original movie. I Well, Lifetime kind of stuff has its own particular soap opera-y aesthetic, and I think if they had avoided shooting it like that, they could have done it successfully. Because I think everything that I liked about this movie ended up being undercut by how much I hated the aesthetic. And I think if if it was shot in a more professional manner i would have enjoyed it a lot more maybe that's cynical of me but that's that's just the way it struck me when i was watching it i i did not find it particularly appealing two things i want to mention before we move on to ratings first one of the biggest weaknesses of this film for me was the uh the the score for it. Oh yeah, you're right. Um, I wanted to talk about that there too. There were a couple points where I was like, okay, this is all right. But for the most part, it felt like it was just like made in like in garage band, band on it's, the the iPhone itself. Yeah, exactly. I was thinking the same fucking thing. I was like anytime there was any music, I was like did they score this on the iPhone as well as shooting it? Because all of the music had 
that uh, garage band stock instrument sound to it, and it was all, like, really simplistic looping and shit like that, and that did not work for me at all. And I that just just added added to the whole thing like it it looked shoddily done and it sounded shoddily scored that was no no good for me especially with Soderbergh sometimes conceptually his movies work a little better than they do in practice yeah, I, th- um, I think I can agree with that I as think well. I think a good example of one of his recent movies that felt that same way was uh, uh, The Girlfriend Experience. Mm, I didn't see that Which one. was all about, you know, an escort living in New York, and mm-hmm. he got an actual uh, porn star to be the lead character in it. Like, conceptually, that's a cool idea, but the movie doesn't really do enough with it. And I feel some of that translates into this movie where, like, there's a lot of cool concepts to the approach of this movie, but I don't know if it does quite enough with it. Yeah, I know I can I can agree with that. There there are things that I wanted expansion and further exploration of in this movie that I didn't get, and I thought that was a little bit of a letdown. Um, I felt kind of the same about uh, the last Soderbergh movie I saw was uh, Logan Lucky, which I watched on the airplane on the way back from Amsterdam. Oh, it was okay, decent heist movie, fun, but very surface level and didn't do enough unique with its concept to really be a great movie, it was okay. I liked it better than this movie. For me, there's there's a lot to be desired from Unsane. It's not a terrible movie, but uh, it's definitely not one of the better movies I've seen this year, in my opinion. You want to just add a rating to the end of that? Do yeah, you want a sure. Few final thoughts? For sure. Um, I I gotta give this a two and a half out of five. It it fell short. I wish that I, I just I wish that it did more. Um but yeah, two and a half out of five for me. Alright, yeah. Well I think this movie conceptually gets at a lot of cool things. I actually uh have come to appreciate the cinematography of it. Uh at first it threw me off, but I kinda fell into it as the movie went along. And that's certainly helped by a great uh frenetic off-kilter editing style and some great performances claire foy as the main character does a great job jay farrow is great the guy who plays the stalker is great juno temple is great honestly the whole ensemble is really great i think the movie is excellently paced i think the way it reveals things to the audience is really smart and interesting for example uh the first time we realize oh it's not just in their head is when well not even uh we we see uh him show her her address her mom's address yeah. um in boston even then we're not sure if this is real or just in her head 
but as things go along, it slowly becomes a realization that this is a very real yeah, threat. Well, when he shows up at the mom's hotel room, that's kind of like, yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that's right. the big yeah. turning yeah. point, I think. Uh, the ideas of late stage capitalistic anxieties work well within the idea of this institution and the abuse of stalkers, especially in, you know, the Me Too era we're in seems more prevalent than ever. Um, and I think the combination of these two concepts makes for a really cool storyline. I think this movie does have some flaws in how it kind of at times feels like it falls into lifetime original plot territory mm. with the stalker, but it's pretty inventive throughout there's particular scenes in this movie that are incredibly effective. In particular, all of the solitary stuff. I think it's mm -hmm. incredible. I can agree with that. Um, yeah, I would give this a solid three, three and a half out of five. I don't think it's a perfect movie, but I think it's a really solid movie. And one that's interesting and unique enough to check out. I think it does have its shortcomings, but there's artifice behind it unlike the other two movies we watched today i yeah or, sure we watched for this episode yeah i and i can definitely agree with that this was definitely the best of the three um i would recommend it only in the sense that i would be interested to hear what other people think about this um so if you haven't seen unsane uh check it out and uh send us your thoughts in some form or fashion, because I want to know if I'm alone in... If you are unsane. If I am unsane. Okay, well, I, I pitched uh, how to make the other two movies five-star movies. How would you make unsane a five-star movie for you? Oh, shit. I think that to make it a five-star movie for me, we need way more Sinbad the the comedian not the sailor i it just makes me think of the episode of it's always sunny where uh they put dennis in a mental institution and he hallucinates that his roommates are sinbad and rob thomas of matchbox 20 and honestly if they just took that and expanded it into a full-length movie that would be a five-star movie for me more yeah. sinbad sinbad is the stalker but instead of stalking to be creepy and wanting love he's just aggressively following you doing his stand-up routine trying to give you his headshot replace <laughs> replace jay farrow with rob thomas and uh yeah there we go that's a perfect film um you know what we forgot to mention in this movie too is uh arguably the greatest uh matt damon cameo <laughs> i already forgot matt damon shows up in this for like a minute and a half. <laughs> I wonder how much he made from his little cameo in this movie. He probably did it because he loves Soderbergh. Probably. Yeah, he's the... Uh, in a flashback, we see he's the, the cop who tells our main character how to avoid her stalker and gives her a book, The Gift of Fear, which I actually have on my bookshelf but have not read. That was really weird to to see Matt Damon just show up out of nowhere and then be gone from the rest of the movie after a minute. Um, that was pretty fun. 
Um, but yeah, you know, check this movie out. Uh, let us know what you think. I'm curious. Out of the three, it's probably the only one that I would recommend checking out. Um, because Winchester and Insidious 4 are garbage. But that will bring us to the end of our mid-year catch-up. We've pretty much seen all of the horror movies that are worth talking about this year, uh, at least as far as we know. Uh, Next week... We are going to be finally doing a discussion of uh, David Robert Mitchell's fantastic film, It Follows, one of my favorite horror movies of the last five years, Uh, and we're going to try to get Cleveland back on the podcast to uh, talk with us uh, about that one, so you can look forward to that next week. I know I'm looking forward to it. Um, If you like the show, you can leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Google Play or wherever you listen to the show. Uh, We would greatly appreciate that. You can follow us on social media on Twitter or Facebook at PodPeoplePod. Send us your thoughts, um, questions, comments, concerns. If you want to go through email, like Ben mentioned earlier in the show, PodPeoplePod at gmail.com. Also check out our Letterboxd page for a complete list of all the films we've talked about on the show with links to those episodes if you haven't listened to them already. Uh, Ben and I also each have our own letterbox pages. Um, I don't write reviews on mine anymore. It's been a long time, Um, but I do still log all of my films with uh, ratings. So if you want to see what we've been watching and what we rate them, uh, you can just look us up on Letterboxd. Uh, L-E-T-T-E-R-B-O-X-D dot com uh, slash pod people pod for the podcast page. Uh, you can just search our names to find our personal pages. Yeah, I believe that uh, wraps up just about everything. You can follow me on Twitter at Mr. Van Awesome. Yeah, you can follow me at Mr. Sheets. Um, and yeah, that's uh, really all I have to plug, I guess. Uh Like the last couple episodes, if you're into video games, uh, follow our uh, development company, LightArc Studios, on Twitter uh, for updates about our upcoming game, It Stares Back. Very excited about that. Um, But yeah, that should be just about everything. Uh, The show is produced and scored by Ben and edited by me. And uh, check back with us next week for our review of It Follows. We need a good movie after some of these movies. Thanks, as always, for listening. I'm Matisse Van Rossum. I'm Ben Sheets. And don't check yourself into a mental institution. You might never leave. Stay spooky. Bye.